This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. 8.37 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Keith Kam. Now in half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. But we're turning our attention now, though, to the Singapore budget that was tabled last Friday by Singapore Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong. He revealed a comprehensive budget plan amounting to 131.4 billion Sing dollars, constituting roughly 18% of its GDP. This amount amount exceeds the size of budget 2023, which totaled 130.8 billion Sing dollars. This year's budget is focused on balanced spending, shifting towards investments in green initiatives, human capital, infrastructure and high quality foreign investments, rather than solely on supporting lower income households like last year. In addition to expanding the assurance package to include a wider distribution of Community Development Council vouchers, the government is implementing strategies to enhance retirement provisions ease healthcare expenses and offer increased support to low-wage workers. Is the allocated budget for this year sufficient to meet Singapore's diverse needs and challenges? For analysis on this, joining us on the show today is Kungo, Head of Asia Research at ANZ Bank. Kun, good morning. Always good to have you. Let's start with the key budget figures. The overall fiscal position for financial year 2023 was sharper at a deficit of $3.6 billion Sing dollars versus an earlier estimate of $0.4 billion, while there was a surplus forecast of $0.1 percent of GDP for 2024. What do these figures tell us about the state of Singapore's economy? And does this change the house view on GDP growth this year? Yeah, good morning. Well, the Singapore government's uh, tax revenues has actually been running much stronger than expected, given that the economy was performing stronger than what had been budgeted. Uh, now, the headline deficit figure of $3.6 billion at face value uh, suggests that the government might be overspending. But if you look at the details, uh, the reason that it slipped into a deficit is because uh, the Majula Package Fund, uh, which uh, costs $7.5 billion, has been charged against uh, FY23. If you uh, remove that, then the government would have actually uh, incurred a surplus of $3.9 billion. Now, this $7.5 billion modula package, this amount is not all being spent in one year, but the government is just choosing to fully cost it and charge it against that financial year um, and spread it. The actual spending will be spread over uh, multi-year. So that's the, the main reason why we have a, a headline deficit. Uh, for FY24, uh, back to a, a modest uh, surplus of 0.8 billion. And in the past, the government has always been conservative in their budget projections. So it would not surprise me to see the actual surplus coming in larger than expected. Kun, it was a budget with something for everyone, but specifically there is cost of living support for households uh, and even small businesses with an enhanced assurance package to the tune of 1.9 billion Sing dollars. Do you think this is sufficient to address the critical issues of inflation and rising cost of uh, rising costs in 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 the country? Yeah, well, certainly cost of living pressures remain, but the inflation rate this year is definitely going to be far lower than what we have experienced in the last two years. For example, inflation in 2022 was 6.1%. Uh, that dropped to 4.8% in 2023, still very high historically. 
Uh, this year, I'm expecting inflation to come in somewhere around 3%. Um, but the government still remains committed to helping particularly lower-income households to manage the, the cost of living uh, pressures. So the $1.9 billion enhancement to the assurance package. And on top of that, there's another $6 billion that have been uh, allocated towards uh, GST vouchers, which will be handed out later this year and early next year. Uh, I believe that should be enough to tie particularly lower income households through in managing the GST increase this year, plus other um, higher cost of living pressures. Interestingly, um, there was a lot of emphasis on skills retraining. It's going to be introduced for Singaporeans age 14 above, while there are also initiatives to uplift wages of lower wage workers. I'm just curious, are Singaporeans at risk of losing their productive per age? And does this go far enough in upgrading human capital? Look, I think this uh, new initiative called the Skills Future Level Up Program, which is for mid-career uh, Singaporeans or those age 40 and above, is a significant uh, investment to encourage Singaporeans to upskill. Uh, we're talking about a one of 4,000 dollar top up to their uh, uh, skills future credit which they can use for approved courses including uh, full-time diplomas on top of that uh, there's also uh, additional subsidy uh, for singaporeans age 40 and above who want to pursue you know, full-time diploma in uh, polytechnics it's and other uh, higher institutions uh, and i think significantly a new monthly training allowance uh, equivalent to 50% of the average income in the last 12 months, capped at $3,000 a month uh, for a maximum of 24 months uh, in a person's lifetime. These are all significant uh, investments to encourage Singaporeans to upskill, uh, stay relevant, and definitely uh, this will help maintain Singaporeans' uh, workforce uh, in a ever-changing um, global landscape. So I think this is a massive investment to ensure that Singaporean workforce remains competitive that will make uh, Singapore an attractive destination for uh, investment. The budget was also said to be tilted towards investment with an objective of strengthening the country's competitive advantages. What were the initiatives that supported this? Yeah, so on top of that uh, skills uh, package that I've uh, mentioned, there's also an additional $2 billion that will be uh, allocated to the National Productivity uh, Productivity Fund, that's to help businesses uh, continue to improve, uh, look for ways to improve productivity. There's a, another $2 billion top-up to the Financial Sector Development Fund to ensure that Singapore remains uh, a very uh, important financial hub for the region. Uh, to encourage R&D, uh, there's a $3 billion that has been uh, set aside into the Research, Innovation and Enterprise Plan. Uh, and to make Singapore a major AI development hub, uh, there's $1 billion uh, spending spread over the next five years uh, allocated towards that. Uh, and to support all these and the Spark Smart Nation uh, plan, uh, the progress is underway to upgrade the nationwide broadband network with the aim of having uh, broadband speeds of up to 10 gigabits per second in the second half of this decade. That's 10 times faster than it is today. So significant investments to ensure that uh, Singapore remains very, very attractive uh, for uh, investment capital. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and Kun, what about energy security and the green tra tra transition? What were some of the announcements uh, made in that regard? 
Yes, going green is expensive, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last couple of years, particularly last uh, last year, Singapore announced a substantial increase to the carbon tax. Uh, but um, that's not all. I think Singapore is very keenly aware of security of supply uh, and the need to slowly move away from reliance on, on LNG towards more uh, renewable energy sources. And you know, the, the private sector can play a role, but the government recognizes uh, it can't all be on the owners of the private sector. So the government has to play a very important part to try and crowd in more of these renewable energy investments. So in that regard, the government has uh, set up a, a new fund called the Future Energy Fund, which uh, with an initial capital injection of $5 billion uh, to help Singapore transition towards uh, cleaner fuel sources and make sure there is a security of supply. And I think this is just the beginning. Uh, with this five billion injection, I'm sure in future budgets there will be more capital injections to come to ensure that Singapore can meet its uh, net zero target uh, by the middle of this decade. Nonetheless, what are some of the challenges that the Singapore economy does face in 2024? So for this year, um, you know the growth momentum looks to be positive, uh, but. The geopolitical environment, of course, uh, is ever-changing, so there remains a challenge. Uh, we've seen quite a, a few unexpected shocks that have come in the, the global economy, you know, renewed conflicts, etc. So that remains you know, very much uh, of concern. And of course, come uh, November, there is the U.S. presidential election, uh, which could uh, significantly alter uh, the political landscape in the U.S., uh, so that's more of a 2025 challenge, I guess. Uh, so for this year, uh, I think the uh, outlook seems cautiously optimistic. But of course, you know, we're still you know, keenly sensitive to what happens to the global economy. So most of the challenges and risks actually emerge from uh, outside of Singapore for this year. I do have one more question on property, which is something very close to the heart of Singaporeans, right? They've raised the bar for property tax and also have increased the penalties towards developers who don't finish their their projects or don't sell their projects in time. Will this actually be able to bring down property prices, which have risen 6.3% last year? Well, actually, they actually didn't penalize the property developers. They actually uh, provided more flexibility oh, for okay. uh, the developers who have not managed to sell all their, their properties within the uh, speculated timeline. So actually, that gives uh, more flexibility to, to property developers. And in terms of the increased threshold, um, you know, what the government has tried to do is, you know, when they introduce initially the increased um, tax rates and higher assessed values, um, it was supposed to only capture a certain proportion of property um, owners. But because of the huge increase in rents, for example, uh, it ended up capturing a a bigger group of um, landlords than initially intended. So by raising the threshold, I think what they're trying to do is, you know, uh, come to the spirit of the initial policy, which is only to uh, ensure the, the top tier of property um, investors were captured. So this is just more of an adjustment. It's not a major overall shift to uh, the property tax rules by, by any means, but just more of a tweak. And I don't think it's going to have a major uh, impact on the property sector outlook. We're already starting to see uh, prices moderate and rents have started to fall because there's the increase of property supply that is coming on stream uh, this year we shall ensure greater demand-supply balance for the market. 
Kun, thanks very much for speaking to us. That was Kun Go, Head of Asia Research at ANZ Bank, giving us the lowdown on the Singapore Budget 2024, some of the uh, key elements and highlights from the tabling of the budget. The first, uh, well, not the first one, I think, but it was tabled by the incoming Prime Minister Lawrence Wong. Yeah, because there's going to be the political transitioning transition that happens this year. Uh, but I think basically the budget's... T- tone is very much it's something for everybody it's going to be very inclusive all right well we will be covering more about the implications of the singapore budget 2024 after the opening bell we next up though we are going to be diving into malaysia's latest gdp numbers and what it means for the economy stay tuned bfm 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app